Good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. Anybody stoked about a new year? Come on. A fresh start, at least for the next week, right? Um, I was trying to figure out where to go this morning. We're going to wait a couple weeks to jump back into Matthew. And so uh, I wanted to just spend some time, I think, encouraging our church with regards to this next year. And I happened to be reading through Psalm 144 a couple weeks ago and um, thought, you know what, maybe we'll just spend some time in one chapter of the Psalms this morning. And so that's what we'll be, is Psalm 144. You guys can open up your Bibles, turn there, get ready. Um, I won't necessarily walk through it verse by verse. I just have like four main points this morning that I want to encourage you with from four sections of that psalm. Uh, if you guys, most of you maybe don't know me, uh, my name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, my wife and I, Heather, we have two kids. I have a 16-year-old son, almost 17, sitting in the front row here, and then I have a, another son, Jonah. Judah's 16, Jonah's 11. Uh, Judah has been playing football. He's gonna hate that I'm talking about him this morning, but since like the third grade. And I always tell people, now he's a junior in high school, just finished uh, his junior year of football. And I always tell people watching your kids play football for that long is super nerve-wracking because in third grade, when you started in flag football, it's like, it's nothing, right? And the first year tackle, it's like kids just kind of fall on each other and then they happen to fall over and it's a tackle and they don't really know how to do that. And then every single year that we've come back, it's like the kids are bigger, the hits are harder, it's more scary to watch your kid go out there and play. And this last year, we got this real glimpse like of the parents in football, right? But, uh, where, man, when your kids are young, you dream of the days when they can play like under the lights and there's an announcer and there's music playing and they get to play in front of a crowd and stuff. And this last year was kind of the first um, big experience for us with that, with our son. And, and uh, if you've ever been to a high school football game before, then you understand like how competitive it gets and it gets progressively more competitive over the years. And you literally, like right now, this last season was the first season where you start to see like veins bulging out and like the hits getting harder and sweat pouring down people's faces and screaming and getting fired up and that's just the dads, you know? And, and then the moms are, uh, are just as crazy sometimes and the kids are super intense and we, we, had, we were at this one game just a couple months ago um, where it, it got super heated and all these parents and students, everybody sitting around us was just so fired up about these calls that this ref was making. And um, everybody's yelling and screaming. I mean, I, I'm watching the worst of everybody come out, right? Like kids are screaming and parents are screaming, like they're just shouting obscenities and they're frustrated with these refs. And, and, uh, and then it was like two minutes later, there was this brief moment where like a timeout was called and then all of a sudden, this ACDC song comes on over the, over the loudspeakers. And then, like, people just start singing this ACDC song, you know? And you're like, what the? You know, like, we just literally went from a time where everybody's frustrated and yelling obscenities, and we can rally around a song, right? Um, or, like, Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, right? Like, when that, song com when that song comes on, it doesn't matter what generation you're from, everybody just starts singing the song. 
And I had this moment where I sit, sat back and I'm like listening to these people singing when they were just so frustrated and yelling and like veins bulging out of their heads. And I'm thinking to myself like, how crazy is it that music has the kind of power that it does? To rally people, to literally take them out of what was a seemingly bad, frustrating, um, like a, a moment where they were disgruntled and now all of a sudden you can sing this chorus or yell this ballad at the top of your lungs and forget about what just was happening two minutes prior. Uh, this last week we, we drove to Seattle and back <clears throat> to hang out with Heather's family and on the way home, I, I like to educate my kids on music history, right? So I just like put on playlists and we'll say, I'm like, who's this? What band is this? You know, and now they have Shazam on their phone. So they're like, oh, it's uh, Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> I'm like, did you really know that? No, my phone knew it. And, and so we listen to all this music, and sometimes songs will come on even in those moments where Heather and I will look at one another and be like, oh, this is a good one. You know, like this, this one's so good. And you're like singing the song, and the song immediately takes you back to these moments in your life where you heard these songs. That they were good moments. You're able to sort of escape whatever's going on to go back into these moments. Um, and it's interesting as I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks, how our, our words are sort of, or these words in these songs are sort of connected with memories. And that's the power of music. And as I was looking towards the end of 2021 and looking towards the beginning of 22, uh, I wanted to take a look at the lyrics to an old song, a 3,000 year old song. <laughs> penned by the psalmist in Psalm 144. Because I think that an old song has a lot of truth in it, this old song. And this old song I wanna look at isn't, you know, like, again, 50 or 60 years old. It's not just an oldie but goodie. It's 3,000 years old, and it was written by David, and this psalm has some depth to it. And I think as we look at our next year, what I hope to do this morning is as we read through this song, that David wrote, that we would sort of escape everything that's going on around us to actually hear, rally around the song that the psalmist wrote 3,000 years ago and hear the truths that were spoken in it. And so I want to break it down. Um, let's read Psalm 144 and then we'll, we'll come back to it. <clears throat> Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war. I want you guys to listen to this. It's, it's so crazy to put yourself in his shoes while he's writing this. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me 
from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our, may our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen? What an amazing psalm. The first lesson I wanna, I wanna take from this in verses one and two is this. Um, going into this next year, there's four lessons I, I, wanna, I wanna share. One is this. You don't have to choose between being a lover and a fighter. You can actually be both. Um, I've never been a fighter. I wrestled a couple seasons in my life in uh, like fifth grade and I literally was the wrestler that the minute somebody would get him in a, in a hold, I'd just like flop down on the ground, let him pin me, and then walk away and be like, I, I hate this sport, you know? I just, I was like the lover kid, you know? I was the big teddy bear. And it's interesting, like, looking at, at my life and thinking like, but there's a fighter in me. And it's not the fighter we all think, like, but we often oppose these two sides. You're either a lover or a fighter, but you look at the life of David, and David was both. He was both a lover and a fighter. Like, look at the language he uses in verse one and two. Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, he's my steadfast love and my fortress. Who's your steadfast love and fortress? The guy that trains your hands for war and your fingers for battle? Like, the guy that equipped you to go into the battle to fight it with his strength, like he's your steadfast love and your fortress. Like what David's describing here is this passionate relationship with God that he has. Like while his hands are holding the sword, he's in the middle of this battle and he's being pursued by all of his enemies and he's sort of in this foxhole, yet his heart is like deeply connected to God. Like he, he talks about this intimate relationship with God in which God is, the stead, is his steadfast love. Like in other words, the only thing that remains in his life is the love and the presence of God. And, and the intimacy of David's relationship with God included a steadfast love and a steady hand for battle. Steadfast love and a steady hand for battle. It wasn't either or. Like David was tenacious, like he, he fought lions and bears, he fought Goliath, he, got, he fought against the forces of Saul and other kings who tried to kill him multiple times. He also fought against his own sinfulness. He, he had his own internal battles going on he, and he fought as a result of his own sinfulness. And so he pursued God and in doing so, he always seemed to find a fight. Like his whole life, if you read through the Psalms, seems like he's just engaged in one fight or another all of the time. And I don't know about you, but I can find myself setting my life up for failure if I believe the lie that I just have to check certain boxes in my life. Like, like that I can avoid problems and issues in my life. And I think some people will say, as they look into 2022, hey, I'm gonna do this more and more and more. I'm gonna stop doing this or that. Or if I do that, man, God, could you just hold up your end of the bargain and keep me out of trouble? Like, that would be amazing. 
And the reason that we don't live up uh, to, to that is because a week or two into 2022, this new year, something significant's gonna happen that you weren't expecting or that we wouldn't have chosen to happen to us. And then we get frustrated with God and we feel like he didn't live up to his end of our bargain because what we asked of him was that he would bless this next year and not allow anything to happen to me. But what David is sort of explaining in the psalm in his life is that he's both a lover and a fighter. He loves God deeply and he's willing to fight for the right things. Like he's in the midst of this battle as he pens the psalm and, and yet he still expresses this amazing, loving, intimate relationship with the Lord. Like we can actually be in the middle of the battle in our lives and still be a lover and still be a fighter. Like we don't have to look any further than the life of Jesus to see that modeled for us. Like the moment Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the very first thing he does is what? He goes out into the wilderness to fight. The Holy Spirit comes on him, and then he's sent out in the wilderness to fight. And he's fighting against these temptations of the enemy coming against him. And you see, Jesus, like the, the, the Jesus, the, the one we worship, the one we gather here this morning around to sing about, to sing to, to hear from, the, the one we pray to, the one that we expect to take control of areas of our life that are in disobedience, that Jesus was, was a lover and a fighter as well. Like he fought for the things that actually mattered and no one loved like Jesus did. And so looking at this, like what are just a few things this year what are a few things that are worth fighting for, for you and I? And I think the first one is this, is we need to fight ignorance. And let me explain that a little bit. Ignorance is the, the areas of our lives in which we form ideas and opinions or attitudes without any knowledge of, with, without the truth, really. We wrap our brains around things and we get behind things without the truth. It could be politics, it could be news, it could be social media. All of us have these areas of sort of ignorance in our life in which we make decisions and we form opinions in our life absent from the truth of God's word, absent from drawing near to the Lord, we begin to form these opinions. And we do this absent of the truth of what Jesus has to say about the subject himself. And so, there's really no better place to fight ignorance than in God's word, amen? <laughs> like to draw near to the truth. It's not like in our day and age, it's flipping on the news station to try to find truth or it's reading a blog or getting on social media to try to find some form of truth because the reality is that you're never gonna find truth on YouTube, right? You're not going to. But the best place for us to find truth is to seek God's word to immerse ourselves in his word. Like, this is where David finds truth in spending time with the Lord. That's how he could call God his rock. He could call God his fortress because he knew the truth. He rested in the truth in the midst of really difficult times in his life. Like, we can stop ignorance in our own life by immersing ourselves in God's word. That's my prayer for you, church, in the next year that we be a church that draws near to God, spends time in his word, actually develops our personal relationships with him. And we can also fight ignorance in the lives of other people, right? 
And we don't do this by arguing with people, by trying to make our point, or, or making the, like some sort of rant on social media. The best thing that you can do to fight ignorance in other people's lives is to do what? Point them to the truth of God's word. What is it? What's the one thing that you can stand on when nothing else is going to hold up? The second thing is that we can fight. We, we can fight impurity. Your purity is worth fighting for. And this one, this one is a, this one's heavy, but it's one that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, through the years, I've had the opportunity to walk with hundreds, hundreds of people. Marriages that are broken as a result of sexual impurity or pornography or people that suffer from addiction or have carried things over from their past into their current lives. Like, I've walked with so many broken people. I've seen some real success stories where people have learned to draw near to the Lord to fight that battle against impurity. And I've seen, things, I've seen other situations where it's overcome people. I've literally watched people overdose. I've seen people lose their lives as a result of them giving themselves to these things. And they fight over and over again for their purity. Like there's people that I've watched just fight for it. Like literally make a commitment in their life to fight for it. But what I've found is that a lot of times people say things like, I'm fighting. Like, uh, like they're fighting for their purity. But in all actuality, they're really not fighting because how do you know if you're actually fighting for, for purity? How do you know if you're fighting for it? If you can't remember the last time you took a punch, you're probably not fighting, right? If you can't remember the last time you had to fight back, you're probably not fighting. If you can't remember the last time you stood in the face of temptation and literally said no in the strength and the might of Jesus, you're probably not fighting. So how can 2022 be different for us? Well, you can fight impurity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, it's that simple. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the same power, it says, that raised Jesus from the dead is actually alive within you and I. Like, you have the truth of God's word. That's how Jesus battled the devil and Jesus won. And so my encouragement to you would be, if you're gonna look for a fight this year, then fight for your own purity. And here's my thought, if you, if you care more about what somebody else decides to do in their life and you overlook the things that are, that are happening in your own life when nobody else is around, you have to know something's wrong because Jesus will say things like, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly enough to get the speck out of your brother's eye. And so Jesus will also always point back to your own heart, like your own purity, your own walk with him. And so this year, my prayer is that we like fight ignorance, that we fight impurity, that we fight injustice. Like we live in this world in which things are not as they should be, right? The world is crazy and the world's getting crazier. I mean, you can flip on the TV and get stressed out in less than 30 seconds, huh? And then keep trying to change the channel to get less stressed out, but get more stressed out the more that you keep changing it. 
And you can see that there are people in this world that are impoverished. There's, there's, there's the poor, there's the uneducated, there's powerless, there's fatherless, there's the unborn, there's the exploited. Like these are the people that are being taken advantage of in this world. And what are we doing as the church, as the body of Christ, to fight back? And, and many of us, it's interesting, before we became followers of Jesus, we had hills that we said we would die on. We have these pet things in our lives, these things that were so important to us, we would literally lose our lives for them. We were passionate about things that, that, that we would give everything for. And unfortunately, what you watch with people is they bring these things, these hills that they would die on prior to them coming to know Jesus, and they bring those into their relationship with Jesus. And instead of taking those things and subjecting them to the Lord, what do we do? We slap Jesus' name on them, we call them hills that Jesus would die on. And this is something that I've been so challenged by the last two years, honestly, like watching Christians in the church because there was only one hill that Jesus thought was worth dying on. One, Calvary, laying down his life for the sins of mankind, bringing people who were far from God back to God. And so, if we've created these hills in our lives and we've labeled these things as something that's worth dying for, but it's not the same hill that Jesus would have died for, you probably need to let that thing go or subject that thing to the Lord. It's probably not a fight that's worth our time. Like we need to be a people that fight for the least of these. But not a people that just fight for the least of these, but also people that love the least of these. Like we fight for them and we sacrificially give of our lives to them. We lay our lives down for them. So David said he wasn't just a fighter but a lover. He had a steadfast love, a fortress, a stronghold. He, was a, uh, he had a deliverer, a shield, a refuge. That's how David describes his relationship with the Lord. Like, do you and I talk about Jesus like that? Do we? When we talk about Jesus, do we talk about him being our steadfast love and our fortress and our deliverer, our shield and our refuge? Do we talk about him like that? I'd love to say at the end of 2022 that when I talk about Jesus, this is how I talk about him. This is what I've committed my, my year to, is talking about Jesus as my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield and my refuge. I talk about him as if he's my best friend, like as if I literally just hung out with him today. Like, have you ever met somebody that's like that? Like somebody that just seems like they have this special connection with Jesus? And when something goes AWOL in your life, they're your first phone call. You're like, I gotta call grandma, you know? Uh, hey, this is going on, will you pray for me? Why do we do that? Because we know they're praying people. They're people that have devoted their lives to praying. They're people that can continue to talk about God as if God is somebody that they have a deep relationship with. My prayer is that we become those people for the rest of the world. The, the people that the world calls when their life goes AWOL and things don't seem right, they can't make sense of what's going on. And they go, but I know this person this person that always talks about God as if, as if God is like his best friend, her best friend, as if God truly is their stronghold and their fortress. Like they talk about God like they have this intimate relationship with them. And the reality is that you can be that person. 
Like, it's actually not rocket science. It's just spending time with him. It's literally being in the Lord's presence. David wasn't born just intimately connected with all the things of God. Like, David actually grew in his relationship with God through his life. He grew with him. He did it while he was taking care of sheep in the field. He grew in intimacy with the Lord literally in the battlefield. And then he did it when he's in the king's palace. Like, he developed this relationship with God through spending time with him. And how much more can we do the same? Because you and I have the Holy Spirit within us. David literally relied on God's presence to move him to write these amazing songs that we read. He relied on God's presence in battle. Like we have the same spirit living and dwelling within us because we're now the temples of the living God. And so we can have this loving relationship where we talk about God like, like, like God is our best friend. Like we actually know him. Like we actually spend time with him. And that's my prayer for you this year is that we learn from this song. Like that the, the, the we learn from this old song, this sort of lesson for this new year. And I can honestly say looking back at this last year that it's been a year of transition for us, like change constant shifting. And I'll be honest with you, there's no way I could have gotten through the last two years without spending time with Jesus regularly. Just like sometimes letting him talk to me and listen. And I sit sometimes and and I am encouraged by him because, you know, there's often days where I come to him and I have these agendas for God, right? Like, Like I'm frustrated about a situation and then as I'm hearing God's truth and I'm reading his word, he begins to totally change my perspective. He begins to help me lay down my agenda in order to pick up his agenda. And I would just encourage you this year, you're not gonna grow this deep, loving, passionate relationship with God in the absence of his word. It's not gonna happen. Like David grew in his relationship with God by spending time with him. And I encourage you guys this year to do the same. Lesson one, you don't have to choose between being a lover or fighter. Two, is that humility is where our smallness and God's bigness intersect. Read verses three through eight with me. Oh Lord, what is a man, what is man that you regard him? Listen to this. Or the son of man that you think of him. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Again, if, if you're ever in the stands at a sports game and a familiar song comes on, everybody stops. Like in, in an instant, it grabs their attention and they all begin to engage the song. And so for a brief moment, we, sep- our, we separate ourselves from the reality of what's taking place, even the battle, the stress of the game, and we begin to sing a song. And in that moment, we remember that life is actually bigger than football, Right? In that moment, you go, oh, it's just a game. I, I, I tend to forget that sometimes. It's just a game. And, and I think the same when, when we read this psalm, that we're in the middle of all this craziness. And as we look at 2022, 
we think about the stresses that could be ahead and the problems that could be ahead, the issues, the things that may be still facing us in this next year. But maybe some of you are already realizing that 2022 is going to be more difficult than 2021. And you're like, I don't know if I could take another year like this. But in the middle of this song, I, I want you to hear this lesson. That, that humility is where our smallness and God's bigness intersect. Did anybody watch William Shatner go to space a couple months ago and watch his interview as strange as it was afterwards? I, I was almost in tears as this man begins to describe, best he can, try to put words to what he experienced going to space. But in an instant, this man went from being somebody who I'd say fairly successful has everything that the world has to offer, and in an instant begins to realize that he is just a small fry. As he floats through space and realizes there's so much more. It's so much bigger. And so this is what I love, that not only does the psalmist recognize his smallness, like David recognizes how small he is, but he recognizes how crazy big God is. And that's where real humility comes from. If you only embrace your smallness, then you probably just live your life with a really low self-esteem and you beat yourself up about everything. Like you, you recognize your smallness, you recognize your depravity, but if, that, if that's all and you don't recognize the enormity of God, like the power of God, what God can and what God will do, then you'll probably live your life with zero self-awareness. I mean, as a follower of Jesus, what we know is that we are depraved people. Like, sin is at work in us, around us. It's, it's, it's doing its thing. And what we realize is when we come and we realize how small we are, we humble ourselves before the Lord, we realize there's this massive God that despite my big problem was willing to lay down his life to reconcile me to him, to see me, this, this little bit, this little speck in the universe to care enough about me that he'd be willing to pay the ultimate price so that this little speck could be fulfilled in Jesus, could spend eternity with his father. I don't know what it is for you guys, but for some of you, like, maybe you go to the beach and, and you just, like, stand on the shore and you look at the ocean and you realize that it's huge, right? Some of you got to go to a mountain and get that perspective. Some of you go hunting or you spend time in nature and you get that perspective to realize just how small you actually are and how big God is. For me, it's like when I get on an airplane, like, I, you're on a runway and then you're looking out the window and you can see all the people and the cars and the buildings and then all of a sudden you get up a little bit and all of a sudden there's like thousands of cars and thousands of people and then you get up a little bit more and it's like a whole cityscape and you're like, dang, this is, I'm so small. And then you get up into the clouds and you realize there's this expanse that's like above it all, like how small we are. But what the psalmist says is, what is man that you're mindful of him? We're talking about a guy who's literally been anointed king. Like, he's a big deal. And not just any king, like, he's literally anointed king of God's people. 
but he sees himself along with the rest of mankind and he wonders, why do you pay attention to us? Why, why do you bother with us? We seem so insignificant and maybe 2021 has been tough because you haven't recognized that. Like when the world and everything you touch seems to revolve around you, it's really, it's a really tough place to live, but not just the smallness and scope and scale, again, but also our depravity, right? I know you didn't come to church today to hear the pastor tell you that you're depraved, but listen, the reality is that we are. And that's just recognizing that we have a real issue called sin that's so serious that it costs Jesus his life. And if we kind of skim over that and we don't acknowledge that in our lives, we're never going to truly understand what it is to walk in humility. And so why is this so important? Because scripture said that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want grace? Then humble yourself before the Lord. Exalt Jesus. When you're, literally, when you see your depravity, you're driven to your knees to say, God, like apart from you, I don't belong here. Like we desperately need him. Third thing, third lesson, I love this one. Uh, Verses nine through 11, he says, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a 10-stringed harp, I will play to you. Is it better if I say like a six-string guitar? You know, Uh, a 10-stringed harp, I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. The third thing is this, is that I want to encourage you this next year that you don't have to wait until the end of your story to actually tell your story. We don't have to wait till the end. You don't have to wait till everything in your life is clean and perfect to tell the story that God's been writing, you can actually tell it in the middle of the mess like David is. Like David's writing this old song about this new experience that he's having in which he's, he, he's gonna write this new song about it and before you get really crazy and just obsess over the fact that this guy had to be like the best multitasker of all time, right? Realize that he's in this foxhole with a sword in one hand as he writes a song with a harp in the other hand And what does that mean? It means that David is literally in the middle of turmoil, yet he still focuses on the salvation that God has to provide for him. He's in the midst of it all, in the thick of it all. And as a local church, we're literally a movement. Get this, we're a movement of life change stories. Our staff talks all the time about like the stories of things that God is doing in people's lives. And if more people knew those stories, how much more life change would happen in other people's lives if they knew what, was God, what God was doing in your lives. But many of us are sort of convinced that we'll wait until the story is done because it hasn't been all ironed out yet. My marriage isn't perfect. I haven't got all my struggles figured out yet. I'm not in a perfect place, so my story isn't good enough to share with others. And I want to encourage you in this next year, your story, your testimony, the the, the story that God is writing on your life is literally, he's writing it not just for you, but to actually bring transformation to the world through the story that he's given each one of you. And there's a handful of those stories that I get to hear as a pastor from some of you where God is working in your life, but sometimes I look across at like five or 600 people on Sunday, I'm like, but there's so many more. Are the stories being told? Like, do we live life in such a way that we boast of the things that God is doing in our lives, even though we haven't had it all figured out? 
David's sitting in his mess and he's boasting about the goodness of God. Fourth thing. You don't have to choose between being a lover or fighter. Humility is where our smallness and God's bigness intersect. Three, we don't have to wait until the end of the story to tell our story. And the last one is going to be like kind of my grand slam challenge to you guys for this next year. Is that we have to pray for more than just us. I'll come back to this passage in a second, but I was reading this book. And in this book, the, the question was asked. This was probably months ago. And, um, and I'll never forget it. But he asked this question. He said, if every prayer you prayed today were answered, how many people's lives would be changed? He went further. How many people who are lost would be found because of the prayers that you prayed today? And honestly, like when I heard this, like I, I sort of stopped dead in my tracks. Because I think even for me at times, the answer is zero. Like, I spent so much time praying for myself, thinking about my own problems. Like, like anybody else in here resonate with that? Like, 90% of your prayers end up being like, God, do this for me. God, would you change this? God, would you help me with this? God, would you fix this in my life? God, help me with that. God, where are you? Like, those are the kind of prayers we often pray. I'm not negating those as, as beneficial prayers. Like, keep praying them. But when I read the psalm, the, the end of it here, verses 12 to 15, he says, listen to this. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. Our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our field. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Never once does he say mine. He says our. And if there ever was a person at any moment in history to have selfish prayers, it would have been David at this point that he's praying this prayer. But his prayer was for the nation. His prayer was for theirs. His prayer was for the people. And if you look at 2021, and you're somebody who's just like, I just wanted to get behind me because I just want to move on to the next year. Maybe the reason we just want to get it behind us is because it was too much about us. And as we come into 2022, I mean, if God answered your prayers from 2021, how many lost people would be saved? How many missionaries would be saved? How many churches would be planted? How many cities would be changed? How many marriages would be reconciled? Like, I know there's a lot of praying people in this room, but so often our prayers are so me-focused. And what I do know is that David prayed differently. And my encouragement to us in this next year is like, can we be a church that embraces this? This is something easy for us to do, is to start thinking about others and praying for others more than ourselves. And so in a few moments, I'm going to have the worship team come up. In a few moments, we're going to spend some time praying. And 
my encouragement is this, is that let's not waste the song. Not the worship song, but the song. Let's not waste it. There might be some business that some of you need to do with the Lord this morning. There might be a prayer that you need to pray. There might be somebody that you need to pray for. And maybe for some of you this might get really awkward, but God might be asking you to grab the hand of the person next to you and pray for them this morning. But our action step this morning from this is to step out from where we're at, to literally kneel before the Lord and humble ourselves begin to pray for others than ourselves. And I'll leave you with this, is that I think there's a lot for us to learn from oldies but goodies, right? And I pray that we can sort of learn from this 3,000-year-old psalm today, that it'd be something, a rallying point for us, an escape from the rest of the world to center in on what's actually important and what is God actually doing. And so I want you to stand with me. Um, we're going to just take a few minutes here, and I'm going to sort of just let you guys pray. And uh, you don't have to yell it out. We're not, it's not one person at a time. Man, some of you husbands and wives in this room, like, you need to pray for one another. Some of friendships in this room, you need to pray for one another. Some of you have people in your life that you've been carrying bitterness and resentment, unforgiveness over. You need to pray for those people. Bless those people. Release those people in Jesus' name. And as we go into this next year, let's make it a year that's not about us. Amen? Let's make it a year that's about the Lord. And let's allow this song, this 3,000-year-old song, to rally us together this morning to get our eyes off the rest of the mess and everything that everybody else is saying. To actually hear the truth. And the truth is this, is that I know this sounds like a broken record. We all have sinned. We all were jacked up. And by the grace of God, like he literally reached out from heaven and he plucked us out. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. It's the grace and the goodness of God. And as we go into a next year, let's not be forgetful about what it is that God did for us. But second, what does it mean that he's changed you and transformed you? That his spirit actually resides within you? That you're a person that is both a lover and a fighter? That as we engage this next year, no matter what comes against you, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because God is with you and he's your strength and your stronghold. He's your fortress that's around you. He's your shield. I'll open us up in prayer and then I'll just kind of let you guys go for it and you can pray out loud, you can whisper under your breath however you feel led to do that. But let's take some time, five minutes or so, and let's just spend some time praying for people other than ourselves. Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the hearts in this room. God, I don't take it for granted that you literally drew people here this morning, that you gave them the air in their lungs and these eyes to see, these ears to hear, these hands and these feet for a purpose, God. And it's no coincidence they're here this morning. I pray, Jesus, that as we spend some time here just praying, that ultimately you'd be the one moving us to prayer. Would you bring people to mind that we need to pray for? Would you bring situations to mind that we need to pray 
towards Jesus. I pray that you'd help us be a people that aren't always consumed with ourselves and our own needs, but constantly looking out and trying to pray towards the needs that are around us and how you've called us to step into the mess and to be a light, Jesus. And so I pray for this time, God, that it would be a sweet time, a time of worship and a time of prayer, a time where we draw near to you, a time where we would literally leave this moment different than we came this morning, having drawn near to and spent time in the presence of the Most High God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So just take a few minutes and pray, whether that's by yourself or with the person next to you. Let's just take a few minutes and pray.